Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch Podcast. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different on our Midweek Extra podcast episode today. The war in Ukraine has motivated Christians to give, and of course, that's a good thing. But it has also motivated some ministries to take advantage of the situation, to raise money, even if they have little or no experience in the region. That's why I wanted to bring on the program someone who has extensive experience in that part of the world, and that's Michael Johnson, the president of the Slavic Gospel Association. The Slavic Gospel Association was founded in 1934 as the Russian Gospel Association. Today, it works in Russia, Ukraine, and in other nations of the former Soviet Union. My guest today, Michael Johnson, has been president of SGA since 2017, but he's had a long association with the group, serving as vice president of advancement for SGA in the early 2000s. I should also add that Michael is a friend, and when I saw him at the recent meeting of the National Religious Broadcasters in Nashville, Tennessee, he told me some of the work SGA was doing, and I knew then that I had to have him on the program. We had this conversation via Zoom early this morning, and I'd like to also add that at the end of the program, I'm going to have some additional information about how you can be a more effective giver when it comes to the situation in Ukraine. So hang around. Stay tuned for that. Well, Michael, welcome to the program. You know, when I saw you, uh, you and I have known each other for a while. And so, of course, you know, we um, got to spend some time together at National Religious Broadcasters. And when you started telling me stories of what SGA was doing and seeing in Ukraine, I just knew immediately that, wow, I got to have you on the program to talk to our listeners about this. So I guess uh, let's just start right there. I mean, you know, what's happening? What is SGA doing in uh, Ukraine and in the region? And uh, what are what are your people seeing on the ground there? Uh, just real quick, some quick context. Um, again, we were established in 1934 and we ministered during the years under the communism. But uh, when the wall came down, we connected with one of the largest group of evangelical churches over there, uh, the so-called Union of Evangelical Christians Baptists. And uh, we work in all the countries of the former Soviet Union, as well as in uh, Israel um, uh, with the uh, Russian, uh, Russian population there as well. But um, we basically do three things. One is uh, we help in the training of their pastors. So we established a large infrastructure of seminaries and Bible institutes um, where these uh, young individuals, men and women, are being trained for ministry. And then we secure sponsors uh, to send um, uh, pastors and church planters into previously unreached towns and villages. So we're sponsoring about 370 uh, national church planting uh, missionaries in those countries. And then we're connected to the much broader group of churches, which represents about 6,000 churches across those countries. And so we equip them for ministry, compassion ministry, food distribution. Last year, we, you know, sent, we sponsored 40,000 children to attend summer, summer camp and Christmas ministries and all that. So so for us, uh, the arms and legs on the ground are the national church workers. We have administrative offices and warehouses in Moscow, Kiev, and, um, and Minsk, Belarus, so we can get resources to anywhere across those countries. Yeah. So, for example, with, 
Well, Michael, I just wanted to uh, forgive me for interrupting, but I wanted to pause and just kind of make this point. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we counsel organ, you know, counsel individuals to make sure you know who you're giving to. Make sure they have boots on the ground that that they're not just being opportunistic, uh, chasing chasing disasters and chasing crises because they know they can raise money, but that they actually have an infrastructure and can deliver uh, on what they are promising in their fundraising appeals. And I just wanted to pause and. Make that point that SGA has certainly done that. You guys have been working there for years. You've got warehouses there. You've got people there. You've got processes in, in place already. Yeah, we have infrastructure and distribution capabilities all throughout those countries. And just a couple of quick examples. When COVID hit, we developed a program called Christ Over COVID, and uh, we connected with roughly 800 churches in strategic locations, trans- transferred funds. They purchased the food packs. They got the list of people from their local governments that are in need because of the collapsing economies. They knocked on doors. They distributed food. They shared the gospel. They built relationships with them. And as a result of that, um, we distributed over 6 million individual meals uh, during that period. Also, uh, the war between Armenia and Azerbaijan, we were able to get funds uh, into both of those countries through the churches that ministered to people in the conflict zone uh, those people that were displaced from their homes and um, just giving them an opportunity to share the love of Christ. So after that, you know, this whole system was set up. So when the war started, you know, we um, we connected with the uh, leadership of the Ukrainian Baptist Union. Um, their office was in their office. Their, their national office is, is in is in uh, Irpin, but they relocated uh, to uh, the West and uh, in Lviv. And so we, we consult with them on a daily basis. Um, they identify the specific areas in Ukraine that are, that are, represent the most significant need. We're able to get financial resources uh, to the workers there. Um, and we get, we can get funds into the country and, uh, and then they're going out and purchasing food and distributing to the people that are coming through. So one of the things that we're seeing is there's kind of an underground railroad situation emerging uh, with the people in the east that are trying to get to the west uh, to um, escape the country and escape the conflict. And we're getting a number of uh, stories in uh, today where individuals are kind of going from church to church. The churches are opening up the you know their sanctuaries to the people to give them food and give them a place to rest so that they can continue on their journey. So that's just one thing that we're doing. And, um, and the reports that we're getting back are just heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking about what's going on, the tales that they're telling uh, about what they're seeing on the ground there. Well, Michael, can you give me an example? I mean, obviously, uh, many I, I'm watching the news. I'm sure many of our listeners are watching the news and they see these pictures of bombed out buildings and dead bodies laying in the streets there. Um, what are you hearing from your sources there? Well, um, I just I just got a story this morning about uh, this family that showed up at a church uh, on their way to the west. Their their home was bombed out. Um, they um, found themselves in a situation where the Russians uh, broke into their home. Um, they were hiding in the basement for a number of days, and they finally came up and. Um, and there was some level of brutality, but uh, it eventually got to the point where they developed a relationship with the soldiers, and the soldiers were just simply telling them that um, that they were doing what they were being told to do. But um, they were also talking about situations where you know their neighbors were being shot indiscriminately, and um, it's just a very brutal situation. And they feel 
you know, they feel that God has protected them as they're able to escape that situation. And now they're on their way to Western Ukraine to try to escape the country. Yeah. uh, It's just, it's story after story like that. Also, uh, one of the, um, the, the we had established a seminary in Ukraine a number of years ago. Uh, We raised the funds to build it and we've been financially supporting it for many years. And that's European seminary. And I got notified on Sunday morning uh, that um, that the seminary was um, bombed and uh, and destroyed. Uh, there was a cellar in the basement because it was being used to minister to people in Irpin. There were a hundred people in the cellar in this uh, what, what is now a, a bomb shelter, and they were safe. And um, and then they came back and bombed it again. So. Um, and they're still safe, and nobody was nobody was uh, severely injured, and we praise God for that. Uh, but for us, you know, since we have a passion for training, you know, we're, the seminary is going to go on. We'll rebuild, and it's just bricks and mortars. Uh, we're just happy that nobody was um, uh, severely injured. Yeah, well, the, I mean, they, these stories are heartbreaking, and your sto- the stories that you're hearing, Michael, from your network are heartbreaking as well. Let me pivot in our conversation, if I could, just a bit, and just uh, I, I know you've been uh, president of SGA for you know what five years or so, and um, you were involved in fundraising for many many years before that, and and you were the vice president of development or advancement for SGA back in the late uh, late nineties and early two thousands. So. So uh, I know you've thought about these issues deeply about fundraising and, and um, you, you know, you also have a long track record of doing it responsibly and ethically with integrity. Give some advice to our listeners. They hear these stories, their hearts are moved, but Jesus commands us to love God, not just with our hearts, but with our minds as well. What should we be thinking about? How, what kind of questions should we be asking before we give money to a ministry that might be making a very emotional appeal on radio or television? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, again, my my background, as you mentioned, uh, I was recruited into the ministry back in the 90s. And before that, I was an advertising executive in New York City for many years. And I worked on some of the largest consumer brands in the world, like Tide Detergent and Tylenol Pain Medication. So, uh, you know, so in many ways, I'm a storyteller. Okay. And uh, the, the two biggest complaints that people have when they support Christian organization, any organization, is that one, you didn't thank me or acknowledge my gift. But two, you didn't tell me what you did with my gift. And um, and when they say that, they're not necessarily saying, tell me what you did with the $50 that I gave you or the $100 I gave you. They want to know about the lives that have been changed as a result of their prayerful support and their faithful support uh, to the ministry. And because of the network of churches that we have, um, I've consulted with over 300 faith-based organizations. Nobody has more stories about life change than we do. And, and we, we push those stories out to our supporters, you know, through a number of different channels. And it really blesses them because, because they, you know, I mean, most when Christians give, it's, it's different than somebody wanting to buy a box of Tide. When Christians give, you know, what, what, they're, what they're recognizing is the fact that whatever they have, they don't own. God has put them in a stewardship capacity over those resources and those assets. And, um, and, and they're looking for opportunities to expand God's kingdom uh, as a result of what they've been blessed with. And so I would just do a lot of research into any organization that is uh, raising funds over there. And I praise God for everybody that's working over there. 
um, uh, just to understand exactly what they're doing, you know, where the funds are going, how it's being distributed. Uh, because for us, um, you know, my favorite verse, as I think about this, my, my, my favorite passage is John uh, 4, 37 to 38, where Jesus says, for in this, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that's for which you had not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So our whole goal is to enter into the labor of these wonderfully faithful churches that are on the ground working uh, to minister to people, both in word and deed. And so they're not only helping them physically, but they're helping them spiritually as well. And we're seeing many, many people come to faith in Christ as a result of the approach that we're taking. So think about it in terms of why you give to make sure that there's a match between who you're giving to and what motivates you as a believer to give. So, um, again, just trafficking on something I said earlier, look for an organization that's already got boots on the ground, that's got infrastructure, that's got processes in place, and look for an organization that is able and willing to feed back to you later how they actually used the money, what they did, what they accomplished um, there. So uh, those are two great uh, pieces of advice. You know, you know, Michael, I, I can't resist, though, exploring um, one idea that doesn't have anything to do with fundraising necessarily. But I am curious, you guys, uh, you know, again, as we mentioned earlier, you, you were founded as Russian Gospel, uh, and now you're Slavic Gospel Association. And uh, you guys do a lot of work in Russia, and you've got networks in Russia as well. Uh, I'm curious, um, how are our brothers and sisters in Christ in Russia um, sort of talking about, thinking about, relating to this invasion of Ukraine? Are you hearing any stories? Are they able to talk, or are they just being very sort of quiet and circumspect about this whole crisis? Well, um, I will tell you that I spoke to the president of the of the Russian Baptist Union, Dr. Peter Miskevich, and um, and he um, he signed a document that was sent to the Russian government um, opposing the military action in Ukraine. So uh, so they've expressed their views to the government on on this, but. As many of many people know, uh, there are there are a number of uh, Ukrainian refugees in Russia right now, and uh, I would say it's at least a couple of hundred thousand. And so, we are coordinating with uh, churches um, near the border now, and we're transferring funds to them, and they are ministering to um, uh, those refugees that are coming out of Ukraine into Russia in the same way that uh, the Ukrainian Baptist Union are doing so. And we're also doing the same thing in Poland as, as well as some of the Eastern European countries as well. So the Russians, are they're heartbroken over this, and um, uh, but they recognize um, what they've been called to do in ministering to these people that are coming over the border uh, who, who've lost their who've lost their lives in many ways, lost their, their homes. And then now they're in Russia. They don't know what's going to happen to them. There's a tremendous amount of fear and they're welcoming them with open arms and ministering to them with the love of Christ. Uh, I, you know, we're hearing some of these stories about Ukrainians going to Russia and uh, there are conflicting 
uh, stories, in fact. And I'm wondering if you are hearing anything or if you're hearing anything you may not be able to say. But some, the Russians are saying, some, some in Russian government are saying that uh, the Ukrainians want to come to Russia and that they are facilitating that Um that transfer, that movement from Ukraine into Russia. And others, mostly on the Ukrainian side, uh, Ukrainian government side, are saying no, that uh, these people are being taken uh, from their homes in Ukraine and moved into Russia. I, I guess at one level, from where you sit, Michael, as a Christian ministry, you don't care how they got there. You want to work with them. You want to minister to them, no matter how they got there. But are you hearing anything about that, or that especially, especially anything that you can say? Yeah, on the ground, I mean, again, I'm, I'm hearing that the Russians are taking the children away and sending them to Russia. I mean, those are the kinds of stories we're hearing. And so I, I that that particular story has not yet been verified, but, um, you know, the stories continue to come in. I will say that, um, you know, since 2014, you know, we've been um, ministering uh, to churches in the Dumbas area and, um, and, and, and again, I mean, you have to look back at the history. I mean, you know, a significant percentage of the people that live in Ukraine are Russian. And that's basically it was part of the Soviet Union. And so there are some um, there are some loyalties to Russia with many of the people that live in Russia. So I'm not surprised to hear that that some of them, you know, don't have a problem, you know, leaving Ukraine and moving to Russia. Um, but again, there are, there are a significant percentage of the people are Ukrainians who speak the Russian language, uh, who have moved, been moved into Russia, Russia as well. Um, obviously, many of them against their will. Uh, yeah. But as you point out, for us, um, we it's difficult to take a neutral political position in this. But, um, you know, our first obligation is to the churches and equipping them for ministry. Right, right. Well, you know, Michael, uh, kind of in closing, uh, I'd like to, you know, kind of ask you to talk about the long game a little bit. Uh, A lot of times, and of course, I've been a journalist for many, many years. I haven't been in the relief and development world, but I've covered disasters. And one of the things I notice is that a disaster strikes uh, the news cover, you know, all everybody sends reporters to the region or the news uh, cameras get focused on that crisis, that conflict for a season. And then the next crisis occurs and people move on. The news cameras move on. Uh, the sense of urgency moves on. But the needs remain uh, where those um, crises took place. And, you know, when you see these pictures of, you know, your seminary, for example, being bombed, uh, you know, into rubble and other buildings being bombed, it's going to take years, if not decades, and probably hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to restore um, Ukraine to anything resembling its former uh, condition, even after the war ends, which we don't know when that's going to be. So uh, any thoughts about kind of that process, what Christians can do over the long term, any any ideas about maybe making a commitment to a ministry or to a, a region or to a people and sticking with it over the years? Yeah, well, I, all I can say is, you know, Christ is continuing to build his church in those countries. And and many people consider Ukraine as the buckle of the Bible belt. There are more evangelical Christians in Ukraine uh, than any of the other countries uh, in, that, in those regions. 
So for us, uh, again, 2014, you know, when the when the conflict broke out in eastern Ukraine, a lot of people went over there. And as you point out, not not too long after they went over, they went on to another crisis. We stayed there. okay, and and we supported um, uh, those churches that were reaching out to people who were living in bombed out buildings, who were living in the midst of conflict, who every night have to go down into their basement because of the bombs and the fighting that are taking place in the streets. And uh, and those churches and those believers are not happy until those people get into their baptismal robes and come to faith in Christ. And that's the way those people feel. And, and I look at that as a microcosm um, of what is about to take place throughout the whole country of Ukraine, where people are struggling, people have lost everything, they're looking for hope, and the only hope comes um, you know, through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And... Um, and those churches are just, they will continue to be committed to them. The ministry will increase. And, uh, and our, our channels of resources will continue to grow. And we're going to continue to give people an opportunity to be a part of the rebuilding of Ukraine, both physically and spiritually. Great. Well, Michael, that's a good word to end on. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes. I know you like uber busy during this season with all the things that are happening in Ukraine and the and the surrounding countries. So, blessings to you. Thank you. May the Lord uh, continue to um, you know to flourish and 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 prosper your ministry. And thanks for your time. Thank you very much. That brings to a close this episode of the Ministry Watch Extra podcast. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, I'd like to add uh, a bit of information about ministries doing work in Ukraine. And if you are a giver to these ministries, I'd like to encourage you to do your homework first. Yes, the need is urgent, but it's also a need that will not go away soon. So take the really very few minutes that it requires to make sure that you're making a good giving decision. A great way to begin this process is to read an article that I wrote that you can find right on the front page of our website. It's called Advice for Those Wanting to Give to Ukrainian Relief. Pretty straightforward title. Again, just go to www.ministrywatch.com and scroll down until you see the blue and yellow Ukrainian flag. In addition to advice I think that you should pay attention to, we also have short profiles, including our own ratings of ministries doing work in Ukraine, Poland, and the surrounding region, including the Slavic Gospel Association. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Ben Warwick. We get database, technical, and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.